Running away from people now, 20, 10, and gone. Moniel, 67-yard touchdown run. I've got reporters' <laughs> notebooks older than Seth. Fati was always soft. Can't uh, win on the road, they say. <laughs> DeVito pop pass, end zone, touchdown, and the ball game. DeVito in relief, wins it for the Orange. This is Orange Nation, brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Monday edition of Orange Nation, and we want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. Obviously, a lot to get to coming off of week one of the NFL season. My Bills winning a game that I'm not used to seeing the Bills win. Turn the ball over four times. Somehow win a road game, 17-16. But you are used to seeing the Jets lose that game. So it's a very strange position, right? It was a very strange position. That is indeed the case. <laughs> I was not confident uh, that the Bills were going to win that game until the clock hit zero because I've seen the Bills lose that game uh, many, many times before. Um, but a good way for them to start the season. Your Giants started 0-1. We'll get to the NFL, obviously, you know, later in the show. And that's and not as, even as the, the most interesting. Along. Neither of those are even close to the most interesting thing that happened in the NFL. That's true. Um, we have to start, though, with, with what happened on Saturday uh, down in College Park. And, and listen, we've been doing this show for a while. Uh, I've been covering SU football for 20-plus years now. And, and I, I don't think it's being a prisoner of the moment, Seth, to say that that is, we were supposed to be getting ready for the game of the century, right? Yeah. Syracuse-Clemson. Like, biggest game since, and I think a lot of people point to maybe that, that Tennessee game to open up the 98 season. Donovan McNabb's last year. Um, I, I don't think this is being a prisoner of the moment to say that that was probably the most disappointing loss for this program since that game. For a lot of reasons. Everything that was on the line. And and that game was was close and it went right down to the wire. Um, but I, that was the feeling I had. And, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I know you, you didn't live in this town back then. But is that the most disappointing loss for this program since you have paid attention to Syracuse football? Yes. Because there have been yeah, worse, there question. have been worse performances and worse sure. teams and worse oh. coaches, obviously. And look, but, I, was, I was looking through my time hop this morning and, so, and was seeing the tweets about Lamar Jackson running seventy yards right. and, and hurtling defenders. Like there have been worse losses and worse games and worse performances, um, but none, but none when you actually had expectations on the team. And, since and that's I've what been I'm here. getting at. That's what I'm getting at because you you know I love Dino and, and I think he's a, a fantastic football coach and I, I really like this team a lot. And they've got a lot of talent, a lot of depth, and you know I predicted nine and three. And, and this isn't even about expectations. You know they could still have a really good season. I mean, at the beginning of the year, you know, you asked me for for my record. I said nine and three, and I said I think you know they lose to Clemson, and I said you know maybe NC State and Florida State. Well, Florida State is bad, very. Florida State is legit bad, um, and I just assume because they got to go down to Tallahassee, that's going to be a tough game, and Florida State's going to be better. I'm not sure Florida State's better than they were last year. So I'm not chalking that one up to a loss anymore. Um, I guess my point is is that everything they want to accomplish this year is is still in front of them. 
Well, but, comes, but now it's going to be a lot harder. Well, it comes back to a conversation we had towards the end of last week, in a way, right? Where we said, uh, I think this was on Friday where we talked about it, where uh, big picture for the season, that game was kind of take it or leave it, toss up. Like, if you lose it, you could still do everything you want, right? You could still probably go out and win eight, nine games because of the way the schedule sets up. And, and you know, if you lose that game, it's not the end of the world. However, for this weekend coming up that you have planned, for this excitement that you're hoping to build, for growth of the program type stuff, that was, you know, a very, very important game. Um, and not only did they just lose the game, Right, like they they got embarrassed, they got blown out, they got run off the field. Um, you know, I, I I still think if if you lose that game close, you're talking about college game day in a three hour commercial. Uh, you know, like the, like there there was an outline here where next week's game, this week's game now, was still a really really big deal. Even had you lost that game, and it still had that really really big feel, and I still think it will. Like by the time we move past this, right? Maybe by the time we get to like. Tomorrow night or Wednesday, certainly by the time, you know, the Dino Baber show rolls around on Thursday night and people start coming into town for homecoming weekend, like, this thing will still have a big game feel on Saturday. And there are only 175 tickets left, but um, for it to really feel special, like you said, that biggest game since 1998... um, you had to do a lot better than what you did on Saturday. And I know there are people in this town, people in this building, um, some, that, that think that the game day show doesn't matter. I, I disagree. I, I think that it would have been a, a huge step for this program to get game day to come here, to broadcast from from your campus. Um, as you said, a three-hour commercial uh, that kind of stuff helps with recruiting. You know, kids want to go where they're going to get the biggest spotlight. Absolutely. And when you can point to a week like this and say, you know, yeah, game day was in town, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it was all about Syracuse football. You know, and you're the 730 game on, on ABC, and, and we've got the game on News Channel 9 this week. Again, that's you, you, can't, you can't buy that kind of publicity. For, for game day to come here and put a whole show together about your program and Clemson's program and and that particular matchup. So this this is a missed opportunity. There's no doubt about that. But even that aside, just that loss on Saturday was so deflating for so many reasons. And I, I saw that tweet you put out uh, about, you know, I thought the days of, of giving up that many yards and that many points were, were behind this program. And, and I just, I didn't see that coming. I, I, I thought it was possible they could lose the game. But, man, I was blindsided by that performance. Yeah, um, and just if you're not on Twitter, I I said, you know, I I thought the days of giving up 60 points and uh, losing by, you know, 30-something to a team that you just think is average were were behind you. And, you know, maybe Maryland can prove to be better than average, but at the end of the day, what are they? I was impressed. Are they a a seven-win team? Are they an eight-win team? Are they better than that? Like, I don't know. I mean, if they're a six, seven-win team, they're an average team, right? Like, Like, that's not saying anything crazy. Maybe they're a little bit better. Like I, I don't know. Once we see them in in Big Ten play, and they go to Penn State, and they, uh, you know, and, and they're playing uh, Michigan and Ohio State week in and week out. Like I, I just, I'm not sure. But beyond that, like we've seen these. Like I said, we've seen these performances. We've seen these score lines pop up. We've seen these stat lines. You know, over the years, especially the last couple of years, as Dino Babers and and Brian Ward were were trying to find their footing with what this defense and this offense were going to do. Um, 
But given that you won 10 games last year, given how you looked last year and the steps forward that you took defensively, I, I did think these performances were kind of, you know, behind you. I don't think there's any doubt. Bar- barring a game against a Clemson or an sure. insane talented team like Florida State or something like that. I don't think there's any doubt that Maryland is better than we thought. Um, Josh Jackson was terrific on Saturday. Uh, and Mike Loxley, and the way that they called that game offensively, I mean, they kept Syracuse on its heels right from the start. You know, they were mixing in the, the, the run game with the play-action pass, and, you know, Syracuse couldn't stop the run, so they're bringing the safeties up, creeping up towards the line of scrimmage, and then they'd go play-action pass and, and, and beat them for big plays. So many explosive plays in this game for, for Maryland. And, and again, you look at the numbers at the end of the day, Syracuse gave up 650 yards. They, they got a, a grand total of one sack. Right, I mean, we thought that that was the strength. We thought that Syracuse had the edge in terms of you know their defensive line against Maryland's offensive line. Maryland gave them a grand total of one sack, and and, and dominated them in the running game. Dominated. Them. I mean, just destroyed them. And so now you're you're scratching your head if you're Syracuse. I, I mean, the the players have to be questioning themselves. I, I, and I, and I'm curious to get Mike Lynch's thoughts on this. We're going to have Mike Lynch, offensive coordinator, on uh, here in in about five minutes from now. As a coaching staff, how do you pick up your players, right? Because they had these high expectations and talking about nine wins, ten wins, Orange Bowl, and now all of a sudden, you know, the narrative of the the beginning of this season changes. Now you were looking at you you felt pretty comfortable with four and one. I felt pretty comfortable. This team was starting four and one, and now you're looking one and two in the face, right? I mean, you're sure, but barring uh, an amazing performance on Saturday, you're looking at one and two, and so I I think that some doubt is going to creep in the minds of these players as they get ready for the next couple of games. Yeah, and I get that, Steve. But isn't it also possible that even with the loss, like they lose Saturday to to Clemson, they lose, uh, you know, in a couple Thursdays to to NC State, and that's it? It is. It's possible. Like, that's very possible. It, it's possible. It might not get you up in the rankings to where you need to be to get to the Orange Bowl, but it's possible you still get to that point. It, it's it's very possible. And I said that at the beginning of this show, that everything you want to accomplish is still there. But when you suffer a loss that badly, and there's a chance, let's be honest, there's a chance it could happen again on Saturday, as good as Clemson is. I mean, you could be looking at... Two blowout losses back-to-back. Absolutely. And then you're playing Western Michigan and Holy Cross. You're not... Gonna, theoretically, you, you you're not shouldn't gonna, lose. You're not gonna, but you're not going to theoretically learn that much about yourselves anyway. So you're talking about it, it's going to be until you know your sixth game where you have a chance to to make up for what happened in in weeks two or three potentially. So this is a situation and, where do you, and you have a bye week in there too. Do you learn from these losses or this loss? I'm not going to say they're going to lose to Clemson right now, but do you learn from what happened on Saturday or do you let it define you? And I think that that is the challenge for this team right now. Um, we saw them. We saw them fight back to some degree. Like Tommy DeVito, after that slow start, we saw him fight back a little bit on Saturday. But this, but can this team as a whole fight back from what happened on Saturday? I think that's the biggest question right now because yeah. there are still a lot of wins on this schedule. Still a lot of wins. Enough. They they could get to eight or nine wins still. Um, but how are they going to handle getting shellacked at Maryland and then playing Clemson? You know, on national TV, the number one ranked team in the country. That's the biggest question. Let's take a time out here. We've got SU's offensive coordinator Mike Lynch set to join us on the other side, and then we're going to open up phone calls uh, the rest of the way. We want to hear from you on what happened Saturday. How does it change your expectations, if at all, for the rest of the season? What do you think about this Clemson game coming up uh, in uh, five days from now? So we're going to take a time out. We're back after this. Orange Nation just getting started on ESPN Radio. 
Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Pick and Pull of Auburn. Again, phone lines open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. Great catching up with Mike Lynch. Uh, some insightful stuff there. Uh, let, let's pick up at, at this point, Seth. Um, most alarming thing from Saturday for you was what? Oh, the defense. No, but I know. Oh, but you specifically. mean specifically. Um, I mean, I think it's the run defense. And that was an issue early last year as well, and it kind of it got tightened up um, after the Pittsburgh game, and then they had their bye week, and it, and it got tightened up last year. Uh, but I did think that it was better this year. Like I, I thought it was going to be better, uh, you know, th- this season, and I thought that it looked better in Week One. Now, how much of that was Liberty? I, I guess we found out with with Week Two. But I thought that Andrew Armstrong, Strong, and Lakeem Williams were going to be ahead of where they of of where the guys were last year, given the uh, the time they spent at that position versus you know moving around the defense and playing in different spots. You know, Lakeem Williams is a defend is a linebacker. Andrew Armstrong is a linebacker um, and has been since they joined the and have been since they joined the program. And we heard last week Brian Ward said Lakeem Williams may have started on the team last year had he not gotten banged up in summer camp. Um, so you're looking at somebody who they clearly think uh, is a very talented player. Um, and so I think that that was kind of alarming to me, the fact that uh, Maryland was able to run for, what, 350 yards of offense, uh, you know, just on the ground alone. Um, and, it, and it opened up everything else. I mean, it opened up the play action for Josh Jackson. It allowed him uh, to make some easy throws. Um, it sucked the defense in when they went to that. Uh, I think it, it all kind of started with the run defense there. Maryland averaged 7.9 yards per carry, and that takes into account Josh Jackson. Uh, and you know his his scrambling. He scrambled four times for sixteen yards. Um, so essentially eight yards per carry. I, I, I'm right there with you. I think the most alarming thing for me it wasn't specifically the run defense, but we noticed it on the run defense, and that was the missed tackles. Like the they just they did not tackle in this game. No, and and I was I was shocked to see that. It, it's been a while since we've seen that out of a Syracuse defense. You know, we we've seen them play shootouts and give up a lot of points and big plays and. And sometimes that happens. Um, you know, we saw last last year against Western Michigan early in the year when they didn't exactly know what what Western Michigan was going to do, and that and that game turned into a shootout. We've we've seen the defense give up big plays, um, but I, I thought that the tackling left a lot to be desired. And you know, Dino talked about it today during his press conference. He said he thought that the defense played hard and that the defense didn't give up. But he said when you're in the wrong place and you make the wrong calls and you miss tackles, right. that's what's going to happen. Um, and you, you also—it's also hard to come back and win a shootout when you're down as much as they were down. You know, like if you're only down the one or two scores, the you know the the entire way, it, you can you can fight your way back. But once you start going down three, four touchdowns, and then more, uh, it's really hard to chip into that. It's really hard to to go ahead and and come back from that kind of a deficit. Um, you know, even if the defense does play quote unquote better, right? I mean, they. Um, were they better in the second half, or was Maryland slowing down, or a combination of two when they allowed 21 points in the first quarter, 21 points in the second quarter, and 21 points in the second half? Uh, you know what? What was it? And and so like, 
you've got to you've got to be at a point where you're not letting the other team get out by three possessions because you know again you can you can come back from two possessions down you score you get a stop you score again all of a sudden you're tied um it gets a little more difficult when you're all of a sudden down by 21 28 30 something points i don't think there's any doubt about it and i i think that you know the offense has to take some of the blame on that as well because of the two early turnovers and you gave maryland a short field and so what happens is the defense starts to you know give up points obviously but they're on the field a lot and also I think Maryland starts feeling pretty confident right I mean the, the things just kind of snowballed Maryland got off to a great start you know the offense was struggling the defense was having to play on a short field Maryland took advantage and then all of a sudden you know the the crowd starts getting into it the Maryland players start believing like okay you know 79 nothing was no fluke we can score a lot of points and it was just one of those days where everything snowballed and yeah Tommy DeVito played better from the second quarter on and the offense did some good things um, but defensively, they were they were just never able to get back on track. Right, and when the defense wasn't able to then help out the offense, what and and again the offense didn't help the defense by by committing those two early turnovers. But the defense wasn't able to help the offense out and pick up some stat uh, some stops and and really slow down this Maryland defense until it was too late, uh, or the Maryland offense until it was too late. You know, even uh, Andre Cisco got an interception and it, and it didn't really lead to much of anything. You know, it just it it felt like all day things were just kind of off uh, for for Syracuse on the, on the offensive side. Like Andre Schmidt even missed. I was a just kick. gonna say like every, that's how like off. Every, it was. Every, everything was off for this Syracuse offense, you know, or, or at least early. Um, and yeah, Tommy made some nice throws and he made some nice plays. Um, and I, I think that you could certainly tell by the end of the game that he was more comfortable and that bodes well for the future. Uh, but early, it just wasn't there and, and they didn't do enough to help out. Yeah, for, for me, it was tackling. That was at the top of the list. Uh, the, the most alarming things that we saw in this game. Um, just... Poor tackling and and give up a, a lot of big plays. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Scooter in Jamesville kicking us off on the show today. Hey, Scooter. Well, at least my beloved Dolphins they give up sixty three points. They only give up fifty nine. So <laughs> it's, it was kind of a long weekend. Outside of Boise State, would struggle against Marshall, and that's why I said it when they beat Florida State. Uh, this is just an average Boise State team, so it didn't. Yeah, Florida like, State is really bad. Yeah, I think we learned that yeah. this weekend. Exactly. And, but the, the thing that got me was, guys, if you go back and look at the, the four years Daniel Babers has been, the types of teams that have scored these points on Syracuse is that type of team. If you go back to the Wake Forest offense, what I think was named Wolford, yep. uh, the, the, the Louisville offense, this is, you know, these these dual quarterbacks. It, you, know, you know, we always talked about four years ago about the Tampa, too. You know, you know, they just dropped back, and it's almost like they flooded the zone. In fact, even on that interception Syracuse had, uh, had if if you watch the receiver, the guy was standing wide open for two seconds. It was just it was just shut, it's just thrown late, and that's what they were doing. And, and I think what you talked about, we, we, you know, we suppose they had these great uh, rushing, uh, you know, ends, but but if you're just doing the short passing game and you're always running draws and stuff and keep you off balance, you know, the rush isn't going to be there. So this type of offense, I go here we go. I just to be honest with you. I was a little disappointed in the offense because I expect the defense. If you look at the if you look at the over unders for college football now compared to ten years ago, everything's in the fifties and sixties. In fact, Oregon went over sixty one on their on their own. 
And that's the type of game. If you watch the Texas LSU game, 45-38, you expect to give up almost 30 points a game if these over-unders are 50. And but but the, but you know, but we thought going into the season we're you know we're going to be able to score 30, 35 a game easily. So I was a little disappointed, and I wasn't sure what Syracuse was trying to do offensively because they really weren't going to the line and stamping it real quick. You know, it just looked like they were methodically doing it, and we're supposed to have this you know this mo that we're the fastest uh, snapping the you know. Taking taking less uh, time between plays, and it looks like they were more methodical. And uh, I, I, you know, I just uh, I, I know the Clemson game. By the way, guys, uh, when we beat Nebraska in '84, we lost the Rutgers 19 to nothing at home the week, the week before. That's right. But that was kind of a demoralizing loss, and no one thought, okay, 40 points against Nebraska, they might be taking Nebraska. But that's you know that's a positive sign there. I think Clemson is more pro style offense. And I think that's why we've had. Uh, you know, we've actually been in ball games with them. You know, last year, you know, we were in the ball game. Of course, we beat them a year ago, but they don't seem to have this quick passing attack and this dual quarterback we expect to take off. And we said before with these transfer rules, you know, Jackson wasn't on the team last year, the quarterback. I mean, I mean, you usually have to sit out a year. These quarterbacks, like the quarterback for Ohio State, I think he's a transfer from Georgia. I mean, they're coming in and having they have an impact right away. So you, until, until you see them play, it's hard to judge how good, you know, some of these teams aren't, and, and to see how the quarterback play is. And, you know, the guy from Carolina is a true freshman. We all think Carolina wasn't going to do well. Well, the true freshman is doing well at Carolina. And, of course, true freshman at Auburn. So you don't you don't know until you see how the quarterback plays before you start rating these teams. Yeah, that's a good point, Scooter. And, and listen, I was very impressed by Josh Jackson. Um, the, the thing that, that I'll slightly disagree on is I, I don't know if it was so much Josh Jackson, his ability to be a dual threat, as much as it was that – this was a, a multiple offense, as Coach P would say. It was one of his favorite words. He'd always say multiple. The fact that they had a, a punishing run game and the fact that they could throw, you know, do the play action fake and, and, and go to the air, and, J- and Jackson was, was very accurate and threw for almost 300 yards and, and three touchdowns. When you have a, a team that can do both, um, and, and Scooter, you used the term off balance, kept the, the SU defense off balance. I think you're right on the money with that. They were able to run, the, they were able to mix the run and the pass. To the point where you know Syracuse was guessing, and Syracuse, you know, in large part was guessing wrong, and you know Maryland took advantage of that. They they ran the ball effectively, eight yards per carry, and then Josh Jackson was able to pick them apart through the air. And and that's the biggest problem I see with Clemson, other than the fact that they have an NFL offense. I mean, you've got you've got a legit NFL quarterback, NFL running back, and NFL receiver, and T Higgins, Travis Etienne, yep. and, and Trevor Lawrence. Um, you have the ability to run and throw with that offense, and and Lawrence can throw on the run. Uh, Etn is a load to bring down. I I think that this, listen, Clemson's going to score a lot of points on Saturday. Uh, you know, can the Syracuse offense match them or keep up? I think that's that's the biggest question mark. Um, but you know, I. I, and and the, oh, by the way, I mean you look at the last two years, really the last three years, the, a quarterback has been knocked out of the Syracuse yeah. Clemson game. You know it was it was Dungy three years ago, and then the last two years Clemson starting quarterback. Um, I think that had something to do with with Syracuse being able to, to yes. hang in the game with with Clemson. Of course, uh, another thing that Scooter brought up that I I wanted to bring up at, at some point because I I do think it's a really interesting point. Um, 
this offense has been billed as the fastest thing on turf, right? And and for it, it was. Orange uh, is I the mean, new we, fast. Yes. We saw. I mean, we saw Orange is the new fast, and and I think we saw it kind of from day one. And then you saw it go to kind of a different level last year. I think. Like I, I think that even uh, from where it was at the end of uh, two years ago to where it was at the end of uh, at the beginning of last year was something different, and it hit a different gear. And right now, to me, it seems. It seems kind of obvious that they're not going as fast as they were last year. Um, you Do know, I think that's I, to I don't be expected, anybody, though? I mean, I would think so. You've but, got a, a but new, you, new starting quarterback and a new offensive right. line. Right, and so you have to expect that. But, um, you know, obviously how much of the success is you're running plays so often, you're getting so many plays, and you're getting so many chances at it. Um you know, how long how long does it take to build that back up? I, I guess is the larger question. How how long does it take to get back to the point where you feel like you're running the offense at that at the right level? Well, the, that's been one of our big question marks from you know the end of the preseason and into the regular season was you know how long is it going to take for this offense to start clicking? How long will it take for you know Tommy DeVito to work his way through the 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 transition of being the backup to being the starter and and this offensive line as well that has been playing with without Sam Heckle since he was hurt in the first half against Liberty um, how long does it take for for everybody to have cohesion uh, on that line and I think that in large part that's why they're maybe moving a little bit slower because you have a new offensive line you you gotta you gotta take your time you gotta make sure that everybody knows what they're doing right on a given play and it, sooner or later it's gonna become instinct and that offensive line last year I mean they they had played together the entire year they were healthy and they had they were experienced together and and they had cohesion and right now this line doesn't and you've got a starting quarterback that's still trying to figure his way out now I thought it was a, a a positive sign to see DeVito struggle against Liberty and then early on against Maryland and then to 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 pick himself off the mat for lack of a better term and then to play pretty well, you know, quarters 2 through 4. And I realized they were behind they were throwing the ball a lot, but I thought he did some good things. To me that was a good sign that he's mentally tough enough that he didn't let those two turnovers just ruin his day, and it didn't turn into Notre Dame from last year. It could have. It, it could have very easily turned into Notre Dame from last year from an offensive perspective. Sure. Um, and, and I realize they still lost by a lot. But in, in terms of him doing his job, I think he, he learned from that Notre Dame game from a year ago, and he was able to pick himself up and shake off the two turnovers and then did some good things after that. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that at you know, as the game went along, he looked more and more comfortable. He made some really good throws, um, and and you hope that that translates into you know positives moving forward, and maybe it e- it eases that transition, and they get and they can get to where they want to be a little bit faster. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four is the number if you'd like to talk some Q's football. Got to take another timeout. We'll wrap up our number one of the show right after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation, brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Hour number two of Orange Nation kicks off on ESPN Radio. Seth, would you like to repeat what you just said to me in the uh, in the break, like five seconds before we came back on the air? Sure. Uh, no Syracuse players named Player of the Week at their position, in case you were curious. Breaking news from Seth Goldberg. Uh, the new top 25 polls are out. This is breaking news as well. Uh, Syracuse is is obviously out of the poll. Uh, somehow received two points yeah, in the AP poll. Yeah, I was curious poll. about that one, too. I was curious about that one, too. I was fully expecting no votes in either poll. Me, too. And I saw Syracuse with two in the AP. So somebody still likes Syracuse, uh, at least one yeah, somebody. I'll, I'll find this out in a minute. 
At least one somebody put him 25th. Maybe maybe one well, two, maybe somebody two put him 24th. Put, two might have put him 25th. One of them might one person might have put them 24th. I hope one person put him 24th. That would be great. How how high must they have been in that person's ballot? That, that they, person well, in that person he, feels strongly you know about Maryland. One person put them 24th. 24th. Anyone we know? Um, I don't know. Do you know Audrey Dahlgren of WLNS in Lansing, Michigan? I do not. That's who it is. I thought it might be like somebody down near Maryland. Like they had a high opinion of the Terps. They're like, well, you know, Syracuse stayed within 43 of Maryland, so we're going to keep them in the top 25. <laughs> That's look, random. Look, they, they brought down Maryland's point total from last week. How can yeah. you not be impressed? Uh, Maryland in the poll, 21st in the AP, uh, 25th in the coaches, in, in case you're wondering. All right, again, full lines open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. We can continue to talk SU football if you'd like. Uh, I did want to start hour number two by switching gears and, and talking about the NFL. We, we touched on it at the very top of the show. Um, my Bills winning a game that, that we're not expecting, you know, being a fan my whole life, I do not expect the Bills to win that kind of game. Turning the ball over four times on the road, um, but somehow they got it done. They won in 17-16. Your Giants uh, fell to the Cowboys last night, but as you said at the top, uh, that wasn't even the most interesting thing by a long shot uh, that happened in the NFL. You want to you talk a little Antonio Brown? I would love to. I'm amazed by this story. What There's, amazes you about it? Well, there just seemingly is always something new. Uh, you know, I, I I called a high school football game for us here on ESPN Radio on Friday night, so I was I was like totally off of you know social media and and I was I was just focusing on the game. I had no idea what was going on in the outside world, and uh, I get a text from a friend probably close to the end, and and it just says, "Oh my God, look at what Antonio Brown just did." And I'm like, "Oh great, what, what now? What now?" Right. And I go to Twitter, and he has a video with with a phone conversation with John Gruden. Saying, let's just play some football, man. Come on, let's just play some football. Um, which is just weird. Like, it just didn't make any sense. And then you're wondering if he told John Gruden he recorded the phone call, and you're wondering if he did illegal stuff. Um, and so then Saturday morning, I'm doing another high school football game, so the same thing happens. Uh, and sure enough, they cut Antonio Brown. And they're like, you know what, we're going to find him just enough to void all those guarantees. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised they actually went through with it. Like, part of me is a little surprised they actually went through with it. All right, so who do you blame in this whole situation? Is it is it all Antonio Brown, or do the Raiders shoulder some of the blame in this? I think it's mostly Antonio Brown. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that there's got to be truth to the idea that he always wanted to play for New England the entire time. And the the Steelers, it just didn't matter what they were going to get offered. They weren't trading him there, because of course they wouldn't. And... So at some point it was going to happen, and the Raiders were willing to throw money at Antonio Brown, so he was happy for a little while. And then he got to training camp, and he was like, "Yeah, this kind of stinks." Uh, but I, I don't like. I have a hard time blaming somebody other than Antonio Brown. I mean, I don't think that Mike Mayock and the and and John Gruden handled it well, but I have a hard time blaming them for it. So this is why I played devil's advocate on this because I yes, it, Antonio Brown should be shouldering plenty of the blame here. Um, but if the Raiders truly wanted him to play for them, if Mike Mayock and John Gruden wanted to bury the hatchet and just clean slate on Monday night football and get out there and play, do you think they would have 
voided the guarantees in his contract because it sounds no. like that's what kind of pushed this whole thing over the edge well, because they, right. they knew they already knew he was upset and, and I get why they did it right because you know you you draw a line in the sand you're, you're trying to prove a point it's the principle of the thing that you know what we're going to avoid your, your guarantees now you be a good soldier or, or you're not getting paid and right. I get why they did it but if with this particular night, guy you'll still get some of that but this particular guy you do that and exactly what we saw happen. It, the the relationship became irreparable. So that's the only reason that I, I look at the Raiders and I say, you know, if you truly wanted to make this work, don't you just forgive his fines? And you say, you know what? A lot of stuff was said in the preseason. A lot of stuff happened. Everybody was angry. You know, it's just like a, a you know a, a couple that fights. And you say, you know, we were angry. We said some things we didn't mean. Clean slate. You know, what's 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 behind us is behind us. And let's move forward. And you do that by saying, okay, we're going to wipe away the fines and your guarantees are still in place. Does he well, still owe them three hundred grand? by the way? I think it was 215000 is what they fined him. But is that in addition to the fifty from before or is that included? I, I, am, I don't know. It's a lot of money either way, not to him, but it's, that's a significant chunk of change. And so by holding his feet to the fire with that fine and saying, you know what? See what you did there. <laughs> no pun intended. Um by holding his frostbitten feet to the fire, um, they they drew a line in the sand. And this guy does not respond well to the line in the sand. And you made this a, a an irreparable situation, and and now he's he's on the Patriots. Um, so that, well, that's why I say if if you truly want to make it work, you just let it go. You just let it go. You you leave the guarantees and and you you wipe away the fines and you say okay we're. All, we're all good here, but you couldn't. But you couldn't let him get away with yelling at the GM on on Wednesday, right? Like you, you couldn't let him get away with with that with nothing, and so you, so you had to do something. Okay, and 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 so that's fine, and I and I understand. I completely understand. You made him apologize, and he he said his apology. You know, maybe you fine him for that, or you suspend sure. him, you know, without pay for whatever it is, a couple of days. I, I think that the the tipping point was the taking back twenty nine million in guaranteed <laughs> yes. money. Like that was the tipping point. Like two hundred grand to him, whatever, fine. You know, tells his accountant to write a check. Twenty nine million in guaranteed money. Again, it's the principle of the thing. If he shows up for work, he gets it. The Raiders are like, you be a good soldier. You're not getting paid, and that was just kind of like. You know, really? Like, you're, you're going to push me around like this? Well, and, and it's funny, though, that you said he doesn't like the line in the sand, because if he doesn't like the line being drawn in the sand... He, if doesn't, he doesn't like, like being told what to do. Okay, and, and if he doesn't like being told what to do, and he doesn't like the line being drawn in the sand, he just picked the New England Patriots. You know, like like where everybody falls in line, everybody plays good soldier, everybody is it, it falls in into lockstep, and nobody does you know the fifth place. Corey Dillon had had his issues. He goes to New England, becomes a, a a very good, very effective player for them. Randy Moss had his issues, goes there and reignites his Hall of Fame career. Um, like it's it's just and and they've done it with other guys, but those are the two that you think of. You know that I think of off the bat. Um, I'm so intrigued with how this is going to work. And this is, to me, like I, 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 re- I said this before, I really do believe there's something to he always wanted to play in New England. And if that's really always where he wanted to play, maybe now he'll say, all right, fine. Um, you know what? I'm d- all of that stuff is done. I'm done. That wasn't with you. Uh, let, let's just go out there and, and crush it and give Tom Brady his best weapon he's had since Randy Moss. I fully expect him to go out there and crush it 
Um, he wants to feel appreciated, and I think that he feels appreciated by the Patriots. And it's a one year deal, so he's going to be motivated. Oh, did you see and, the Did you see the report this morning? What was that? There's a twenty million twenty million dollar option that, if exercised, becomes guaranteed if they if they pick it up. Yeah. So he right, he's motivated either way because it's a it's a one year deal. And it, yes, I didn't see the the actual. Um, I didn't see that particular report, but he's obviously motivated this year. He wants to go there. He wants to win. And there's a reason that guys fall in line when they when they go to New England and they fall in line with the Patriot way. It starts with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. You've got arguably the best, and I don't even know if it's an argument anymore, and you know that I can't stand Tom Brady and the Patriots, but I can respect the fact that he's the best quarterback of all time. So there's something to be said for, you know, Tom Brady versus Derek Carr, you know Bill Belichick versus John Gruden. Like right. you're going to you respect you're some of them more fall. Than well, yes, absolutely. I mean, you respect those two above all others. I would think, you know, they, they're of the, course. they're the best at what they do. Um, their track record speaks for itself. You want to go there, you're going to get paid, you're going to be appreciated, and you're going to win. Yeah, and I, I thought that something Chris Collinsworth said on the broadcast last night was actually really interesting in regards to this. Uh, because obviously that was the the cloud that was hanging over the whole game last night, and I'm sure that it'll be hanging over the the late game tonight on on Monday Night Football as well. Um, but with that, with with what the Patriots went out and did last night, and and Tom Brady is throwing and making Josh Gordon look like uh, you know one of the top receivers in the league again as he was before his off the field issues. You know, just another guy. Um, he's throwing balls to uh, to Philip Dorsett and making him look like a top end top end receiver. Um, like, does Antonio Brown sit in his hotel room or in Tom Brady's guest house? Uh, you know, watching that game or in the the suite upstairs and say, "Oh, they don't really need me." Like, oh, I, I better just kind of fall in line. Otherwise, they'll cut me, I'll get my $9 million, and I'll be, like, toast. I think what he's looking at is, man, if, if Tom Brady can make these guys look good, I, I'm going to have a phenomenal year. You know, and I, I, I know what he did with Randy Moss. I, I think Antonio Brown's going into this situation, like, salivating at the opportunity to just put up monster numbers to win games to feel appreciated. You know, you go back to the end of last season, he walked out on his team, you know, things were clearly done in Pittsburgh. He goes to the Raiders, didn't want to be there from day 1, and now he's he's in he's in a place he wants to be with the best quarterback of all time and a chance to win a Super Bowl ring. There's a there's a, a little bit out there for uh for more of this contract if you're curious how it breaks down. Uh there's a million dollar base salary. So it's a you know a minimum base salary, a nine million dollar signing bonus. Ian Rappaport just signing this out, uh, tweeting this out. Five hundred thousand uh, dollar in forty six man roster bonuses. So being active on game day, uh, a million and a half dollar, one point five million dollar incentives for each of the following accomplishments. All of these are reachable if he you know is Antonio Brown and and stays on the field. One hundred five catches, uh, thirteen hundred yards, sixteen touchdowns. The touchdowns one is is more questionable, but but the but the catches game and, and he's but off the ca- pace right now. But the catches and yards are both yeah do- very very doable. very doable for him and with Brady. Yeah, I, I mean like that. It's it's so scary what it could look like. Yeah, and again, that's going to keep him motivated. And so he lost the guaranteed money, but he he's still going to earn a lot of money this year. Yeah, I mean, look, nine of it is guaranteed. Mil- well, ten million 10, right off the yeah, bat. Was- ten million off the bat, and the addition, the the ability to earn five more. Uh, curious. I, I don't know if you saw this on on the pregame yesterday on on NBC, but I'm curious if this is a what you think of this. I'm I'm just gonna play it. Antonio Brown was definitely going to be released or traded by Pittsburgh. 
The chosen destination, one of them, was New England. So his camp reached out to the Patriots, but there was no way the Steelers were going to trade him to New England. So here he is in his chosen destination, you might say by way of a connecting flight. Kraft also told me that when he broke the news to Tom Brady yesterday, Brady initially said, I'm 100% in. Two minutes later, Tom came back, said to Kraft, I'm 1,000% in. Then he came back two minutes later, said, I'm a million percent in. And finally, I just talked to Drew Rosenhaus, who made the deal, who's Brown's agent. And Drew said that Brady told Brown, come move in with me until you get settled in New England. So what part of that do you want me to comment on? The last part? <laughs> the last part, yes. The last part. Can we get a reality TV show on that? <laughs> I would love it. I would watch that. I would watch that in a heartbeat. Hard knocks during the regular season? I did see somebody compare this to uh, to Brett Favre when he was leaving Green Bay. He always wanted to play in Minnesota, except he had to spend that time in, in with the Jets. Except he actually spent the year with the Jets. Like, it's not, like, to me, that's not the same. It's remarkable how this all worked out in his favor. Yes, everything. And it, it might not even end up costing him that much money at the end of the day. I mean, I know he had, a, a, you know, a lot more in guarantees with the Raiders, but the way they structured the deal, the way that you just broke it down, I mean, he's he's still going to make upwards of $15 million this season. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it, man, that, that all worked out for Antonio Brown. Uh, 315-437-7644. Let's take another time out. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.